So hi and welcome to everyone. Just a GP is running a short brief series with some wonderful GPs who are willing to share their planning thoughts around COVID vaccine clinic. So today I'm joined by Dr. Michelle Redford, who is willing and ready to share her thoughts with you. So I'm going to hand you over to Michelle, who's going to tell us a little bit about the community in which her practice is located. Thanks, Charlotte, for that lovely introduction. It's good to be here talking about COVID vaccine again, because it seems to be the topic of the conversation. So um, I work in a suburban general practice in Newcastle. We're MMM1. We have a relatively sort of affluent population, but we do see patients from all over the place. And we're a pretty big practice. So we've got 16 doctors, most of whom are part-time. Yeah, so we've put in our EOI along with a whole load of other people, I think. So maybe, Michelle, can you tell us a little bit more detail about the actual size and number of staff? So, you know, nurses, doctors, and maybe the sort of the profile, the age demographics of your patients? Yeah, so we've got about 12,000 active patients. We are definitely skewed towards young families. So there will be a, quite a large proportion of our population in the under 16 category who are not currently, you know, really part of our whole COVID vaccine plan at this stage. The, the numbers we've worked out in the kind of 16 plus, we've got about 9,000 patients and we have 16 doctors a lot of the doctors are part-time rather than full-time. And we have roughly three and a half practice nurses. Yeah, so we provide all the usual GP services that everyone would expect and run lots of immunisation clinics because we're heavily involved in childhood immunisations because we definitely are skewed towards young families. Cool. So if I was to ask what's your then patient load for the over 80s and the over 70s and maybe if you're able to the population who are Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander over the age of 55. I think I've sort of um, worked out all of those categories together for the 1B numbers and then we've got about a roughly 1500 across those three categories. Okay and then who knows in terms of the the numbers for the younger with chronic illnesses as we don't really know what that looks like yet. Yeah, I mean, going off flu numbers, because we have used for a number of years a coding system for people who are um, eligible for the funded flu vaccine. We've got about 750 patients in categories that would normally enable them to have a funded flu vaccine. The other big group, of course, is occupation, and we don't really have a way of searching for that on any tool that I can find because that's that's how people are going to become eligible for 1B, isn't it? A lot of those occupation-based. Yeah, I mean, I, I think <laughs> let's hope we find out a little bit more detail. We're certainly finding drip, drip feeding um, today. I'll note for those who don't know today for us recording this on Friday, the 19th of February. So we do know we've got an AstraZeneca vaccine. We do know that it's going to be drip fed into general practice and we know that we have to assess everybody over the age of 65 as an individual and there'll be a 12-week gap. That's where we're up to with what we know. So what are the plans for the mechanics of how you're going to run your clinic? So how will it fit in with usual business and what are the sort of steps you've got organised? 
Yeah, so it's difficult to be really prescriptive about that, isn't it? Because there still are some significant unknowns. But the model we're working off is a standalone clinic outside of normal business hours because our waiting room capacity is already, yeah, we're already using our full waiting room capacity during business hours. So these have to be done outside of standard hours. So that's possibly some evening clinics or weekend clinics. And we don't have the biggest waiting room. <laughs> so we are definitely limited because we can only have 20 people in our waiting room to maintain physical distancing, 1.5 metres, two square metre rule. I know we're technically exempt, but we want to try and keep those distances if we possibly can. So that limits us to doing approximately sort of three people every five minutes, roughly. And that's one rate limiting step. And then the other rate limiting step is how quickly we can actually get those people through the door, screened, consented, etc. So a lot of our planning re- revolves around all the stuff you do before the person arrives, which we're trying to automate as much as we possibly can. And that really revolves around our booking system. So at the moment, that planning is in fairly advanced stage but based around what we're going to be doing with our flu vaccines. So the idea with that is that we can identify the patients who are eligible for whatever wave we're in. And I have to say, we don't know, of course, none of us know that we're going to get 1B. So, but through best practice searches or PENCAT searches, identify those, produce a CSL file. And the software allows us to attach that to the booking system, which means that those people who've been identified as currently eligible will receive an SMS saying, hello, you're eligible. We will let you know when we have stock. And then when the vaccine arrives, they will then be sent an SMS saying, we've got your vaccine. This is the link to book online. And then that allows us to target the vaccine, try and avoid some of the problems we have with flu vaccine every year of people trying to book appointments when they're not eligible and sort of targeted appropriately. So when they book online, then they'll have to go through an eligibility check. Um, which will be determined by whatever phase we're in. And then there will be a link to a online consent form, which I think is coming out at the end of the month, which will write back into our clinical software. And then we'll also be able to send them a confirmation SMS with links to you know, government materials and also to our pre-vaccination checklist with the idea that then they arrive really well prepared and consented and having had most of their questions answered and having filled in their pre-vaccination questionnaire. So that, that would be the ideal because to enable us to get through the number of people we have to immunise in the small number of hours that we have outside of usual hours, we really need to get through them really speedily. So that's the plan at the moment. And then when they arrive... Then they have to, of course, go through COVID screening. We have a COVID safe check-in, you know, New South Services New South Wales app that we ask people to check in with as well. So there's multiple processes really that have to be um, gone through. And then they'll have the temperature checked and then they will move through to the next part of the building where they then see one of the doctors or nurses and go through there, make sure they're consented, make sure that they're eligible, make sure that the checklist is done and actually give the immunisation and record it and send it to the AIR and then the person will go and wait for 15 minutes and after they've gone then they'll get a post-vaccination SMS thanking them very much for coming 
and advising them that they will get a another sort of follow-up SMS through smart backs and also linking to what the common sort of side effects are that you might get post immunization and then a few weeks later we'll send them another reminder saying you need to book your second vaccine okay so you're not going to book them in at the time that you do them well, this is the difficulty, isn't it? So when I thought it was going to be the vaccines were going to be closer together, then I thought, well, we'll allocate both vaccines at once and have the second one in the fridge for those four weeks. I think with a 12-week gap, that's actually quite hard to justify when there's limited vaccine supply. So I'm actually looking at different solutions for that. So initially, it was going to be book both vaccines in one hit at the initial booking. But how do you then know that you're going to have a vaccine for this? I mean, I think the information is we've gotten back is that they are wanting you to be pre-booked ahead and they are wanting information in terms of that follow-up. So you could potentially do that because even if you did a confirmation, say, 10 days ahead, let them know that you'll confirm given that you have your vaccine stocks in, there would be a priority for the second vaccine for the, from a government perspective. Anyway, it's a good question to think about. Yeah, it's just whether they can guarantee that having given 600 people their first vaccine, that you'll get enough vaccine three months' time to re-vaccinate all of those people, isn't it? Yeah, the information I've been getting is reassuring that the numbers are going up of vaccine, so there should be no trouble with volume once we're at that point. So I suppose both options are technically possible with the software. It may you know, depend on what supply chains look like and things. So either, you know, you book both in one go and then remind intensely for the appointment in three months because <laughs> it's quite a way away. Or you have a system that picks up that you were four weeks down the line from your first vaccine and starts telling you then closer to the time. Either way, I think it's doable, but it has to be automated. Yeah, my final question to you before letting you go and thank you for your time is what software are you using to assist you with the messaging? Oh, so that's all through Automed, which is sort of integrated into our workflows already. So that's not new to us. So that allows you to then to sort of update your vaccine stocks and then we'll only start messaging people when you've got vaccine stock available. So I think that was born out of last year's flu fun where we kept on sort of being promised vaccine and then booking clinics and learning very quickly. You don't book a clinic until you actually have the vaccine in your fridge. So is Automed part of actually booking the vaccine or do you just feed into that system once you've got the vaccines on board? Oh, yeah, you just there's just a little place you can update within the Automed system when you've got the vaccines on board. So when they're in your fridge, you, you can just update how many you've got, and then that automatically can send an SMS to the people who are on the wait list. So if you SMS, say, 300 patients who are eligible and you've only got 200 appointments and they've all been booked up, then the other 100 people will be able to go on a waiting list if they click through, and then they'll be first in line next time you get some more vaccine. So then following that through then, does it also do the send out the message after you've done the vaccine to let them know? Yes, it does all those things. Okay, cool. So that's that's good. So that's Automed and that sits into your software and what's your EMR? So that's best practice. 
Yeah, so the consent form is, is going to write back into best practice. So that's going to be updated at the end of February. Their vaccine module with Automate is going to be updated at the end of the month. So it should all be good to go. But you can put in what information you like. Can you also send out a message using that same system? You know, the one when you were saying you qualify for it. Can you send them out information about the vaccine at the same time so that they can actually sort of know a bit more about it? Yeah, you can configure your SMSs however you like. You can put links in there. They can link back to your website or to an external website like the federal resources or yeah, you've got you've got quite a lot of text. I can't remember exactly how many characters, but you can put a whole load of information in there. So I think that's going to be how we, I mean we'll have things on our sort of social media, and we'll, I'm sure we'll be talking a lot with patients as well. But I think the um, direct to patient messaging is going to be really important to get people informed and consented, so that we're able to do it efficiently and safely. And safely. Absolutely. Thank you so much for your time and for sharing your thinking and planning at this stage. And I probably might beg your indulgence and find out how you're going a little bit closer to the time. Okay. Thanks, Charlotte. Thanks.